Good morning. Yes, my name is Kurt Miller. So good to be with you all this morning. Um, as Steve mentioned, we're continuing uh, in Advent and in the season of Advent. Today's our third Sunday. Advent is, as you know, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And so as we as we go in this morning, our theme for today is faith. And we're going to be talking about faith. And so if you can, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to begin um, reading from a passage in Hebrews chapter 11. I'll pray and then we'll jump in. Also, if you don't have your Bibles, you can read from the screen. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 3 says this. Faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we come before you humbly. Lord, wanting to see Jesus. Lord, even in this Advent season, we don't want to be so familiar that we miss the person of Jesus. We want to, this morning, have our eyes opened to remember the baby Jesus, his glory and his majesty. And Lord, we want to marvel. We want to see him and marvel at him. So, Lord, we we come humbly, but we're broken. And we pray that you would, by your grace and by your spirit, Allow us to see this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that was such a beautiful baptism. So incredible. I was um, sitting here. My daughters are much younger than yours. They're four and two. But I was moved just thinking about, man, how that can happen in life. And and one day seeing that happen with my family. And um as we as we come into Advent, uh, you probably we, we've already talked about this, but the the meaning of Advent is coming. It's it's the coming of Jesus, and a lot of times with Advent we look back to the first coming of Jesus, but there's also a second Advent, and the second Advent is Jesus's second coming to the earth, and that's important to remember in the season. Of Advent, that it's not just about the first coming, but it's also about the second coming. So, but in regards to Advent, um, a question that I ask is, what do you do during Advent? Obviously, we do Christmas carols and we sing songs and we think about baby Jesus. But what really is the season of Advent about? And when I think about it, really, it boils down to the season of Advent is about waiting. It's about waiting. And prior to Jesus' first coming, Israel, the, the Jewish people, they were in a season of waiting. They were waiting for a Messiah to come. And now still, we, in the New Testament, in this present evil age, you know, believing in Jesus, we are still in a season of waiting. And we're waiting for the day when Jesus comes again in the second advent. And we're still participating in waiting. And for me, what's important, and not just for me, I think what's important in this waiting is to have faith. That this waiting can only be done through faith. And that's where we're going this morning. Now, Hebrews 11 gives us a very plain explanation of faith. And that's why I want us to start there. 
Faith is more than just a belief in the intellectual sense. You know, we can think about faith and think it's a belief, right? Intellectually, you, you're, you're thinking of something that you believe in, but it's more than just belief in the intellectual sense. Faith is also more than just a blind assumption, blindly assuming that something will happen. Faith is actually a conscious choice. It's a choice to believe in something. And then Hebrews says that it's also the confidence of things hoped for and the, con- the conviction of things not seen. And then it says, by faith, people of old received their commendation. So the author of Hebrews, he actually defines it with three C's. He makes it simple for us. Thank you, author of Hebrews. Conviction, excuse me, co- co- uh, confidence, conviction, and co- uh, commendation. So faith is the confidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and by faith, people of old received their commendation. Now, when we say it's the confidence of things hoped for, first we have to talk about what are the things hoped for. In order to have confidence in the things hoped for, we need to know what are the things hoped for. Now, because we just finished, a, a, I think, about a 10-week series on Seek First the Kingdom, all of you remember all of those messages, I'm sure. You have them memorized pretty well, correct? Yes? Okay. Okay, I didn't see any hands. But, okay, we'll just assume that you're familiar. But the things that are hoped for are in regards to the kingdom of God that is coming. Jesus promised that he would return again and make every wrong thing right, establish his kingdom, give us resurrected bodies so that we can usher in a new age. Today we live in this present evil age, but there's a day coming when Jesus will return and establish the kingdom of God on the earth. This is our hope. Okay, so faith now is the substance, the confidence, the assurance of things hoped for. So we know that there is a day in the future where Jesus is going to come. And our faith today is the substance of believing that that day will come. What does it look like today? Because the second coming has not happened yet, today our confidence that it will happen is the definition of faith. Our faith is the substance of what we're waiting for. We live with an assurance or a confidence that Jesus will return and he will bring justice to the earth. But it's not just confidence. The author of Hebrews says it's also the conviction of things not seen. The word conviction, it means a firmly held belief. So faith means to have a conviction in things that are not seen. Jesus is someone that we cannot see. Jesus said words that we were not there to hear, but he has given us those words. And conviction is to firmly believe those things. To firmly believe those things that he said and to commit to believing those things that he said. We cannot see what we hope for in the future. We cannot see Jesus today, but because Jesus promised certain things, we firmly believe it. And then the author of Hebrews explains a little further and says that by faith, people of old received their commendation. Now, this isn't as directly related to faith in terms of the definition, but it is important for us to understand. In the Old Testament, we have the law, we have the prophets, 
And a lot of times we tend to separate the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And I understand that. It, it can seem confusing if you don't look a little further beyond the pages and into the pro- prophetic passages. But there is, when you really dig into the scriptures, the author of Hebrews saying there's not a difference in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Because in the Old Testament, people were still commended by their faith or they were saved through faith. And in chapter 11 of Hebrews, he continues to describe men and women of faith in the Old Testament, that they were still saved because of their faith. In the Old Testament, animal sacrifices and rituals were not intended to be the answer for sin. The point of what we read about in Leviticus, the point of what we read about in Deuteronomy, those things were not intended to be the answer for sin. They were symbolic of a true salvation that can only come through Jesus. So we see that faith is the confidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things that we cannot see. And then he tells us that by faith, people of old received their commendation. Now that we understand what faith is, I want us to look at another passage in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is probably something you're going to read a lot in the next two weeks. And in fact, I want to encourage you to read it a lot. I think in, um, in, in the season of Advent, you know, maybe time's gotten away from you. Time's definitely gotten away from me. I still think it's 2019. But anyway, if December has gotten away from you, take a, take a step back. Take a step back and give these next two weeks to seeking the Lord. And when I say seeking the Lord, I'm not talking about doing. I'm talking about waiting. I'm talking about position, positioning yourself to hear from him. And maybe that can look like finding an Advent devotional or something like that. There's still time to do something like that. Have you guys heard of The Chosen? Okay, The Chosen. I love this series. They're actually coming out with a, an Advent episode tonight. It premieres tonight. You can watch it anytime after tonight. But take time and watch that. During Advent, it's a time where we can come before him. So in Luke chapter 2, which we're going to read this morning, and you'll probably read again, I want to read a few verses. I'm not going to read the entire thing, but I just want to read from verse 22 to 38. It is a longer portion, but not the whole thing. And when I'm reading it, I want to highlight two things that happen when Jesus came, when the Messiah came. I want to highlight two things that happened. And then I also want to highlight two characters that we see in this passage. And these are characters that I believe we can be inspired by watching and seeing the way that they lived lives of faith. So Luke chapter 2, verse 22. These words will be on the screen. If you have your Bibles, open your Bibles as well. Let's read together. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, 
Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your one soul also so that thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And then verse 36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from the time that she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84 She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, in this passage, there's two people that we see, which we're going to talk about, Simeon and Anna. But there's also a transition that is happening in this passage. And this transition is the Messiah coming, okay? It's Jesus coming into the world, the momentous event. In fact, Simeon's um, words here might be the climax of this whole passage as he's declaring what's about to happen. And what happens in this transition is there is a transition from the old era, from the way that we have known things, from the way that Israel has known things into this new era. But the transition is not an ending, and I think that's what's important to point out. Jesus is not ending the way of the old era, but he is fulfilling the passages. He is fulfilling what has been spoken and transitioning us into a new era. The old era was a time of the law and the prophets, and the Messiah is now bringing a transition The old era was a time where Israel mostly came to God and connected with God by way of priests, by way of the law, and by way of sacrifice. But now through the Messiah, the invitation is to come to God through him. He is not ending what was previously established, but he is transitioning it by way of fulfillment. We see that in his dedication, Joseph and Mary are committing Jesus to God according to the law. In verse 22 and 23, it says, as it's written in the law of Moses or in the law of the Lord. And again, it says the same thing in verses 24 and 27. So as the Messiah is coming, Mary and Joseph, they know something miraculous has happened. She was a virgin and conceived a baby. That's that's a miracle. Okay, she knows what's going on here, but not many other people know. But still, Mary and Joseph decide, according to the law, we're going to commit this baby to Jesus, to to God. Excuse me. We're going to commit baby Jesus to God so that through the law in fulfilling every part of the law, the Messiah is now transitioning human history into a new era. There is no conflict with what we have in the old era and the coming of the Messiah. He is fulfilling all that has been spoken. This is also what the the author of Hebrews is telling us, that by faith, people of old received their commendation. It was not by their works. It was not by their deeds. It was through faith. 
Now, in this passage, in these, this section of passages, we see two characters, Simeon and Anna. And I'm not sure if you've thought about their lives much, but over the last few weeks, I've been spending time thinking about them. And I feel like Simeon and Anna provide us some inspiration in regards to faith. I feel like their lives provide us inspiration in regards to faith. They're not mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is what we know as the hall of faith. But they're not mentioned in that chapter. But in the same way, they had faith and they had strong faith. What do we know about Simeon? Simeon was righteous. He was devout. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. It says it had been revealed to him that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. He was an older man, and he'd probably been waiting for this moment most of his life. He'd been waiting for that message to come become real that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ. Now, when I think about that revelation that God gave him, I'm wondering what it was like for Simeon in the community that he lived in, with his family, maybe with his friends. Now, don't forget what Israel is going through during this time. 400 years of silence. There has been no prophet that's given a prophetic message for 400 years up until this point. Israel is in a time of Roman occupation, which for Americans, for most of us, I think that's probably hard to understand what a military occupation would be like. But just imagine if another sovereign country decided to send their military into our land. It's pretty threatening, right? Just think about it. Israel was living In a day like that, Roman occupation, Israel's already a small country, and all they're asking for is their little bit of land. And Rome says, no, we think your land is strategic, and we want to occupy it. So they had two legions, most likely, at least one, but probably two legions of military men. That's five, each a legion in the Roman army was 5,000 men. And they're occupying this nation, and Israel is in a place of feeling desperate for what? For a Messiah. They're feeling desperate for a Savior. And what kind of savior is Israel looking for? Israel is looking for a savior who's going to deliver them from Roman oppression. Of course, many other things, and of course, the bondage of sin as well. But during this day, they wanted someone to come and deliver them, vindicate them in front of their enemies, and make all the promises come to pass. The promises were that the Gentiles, the nations of the earth, would come to know God through Israel. It wasn't just that Israel would know God. It was God would use Israel, the broken, the the lowly, the most unexpected people. God would use them to reveal himself to the nations of the earth. And that in that, the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So Israel is now looking at these prophetic passages and thinking, God, there is no way that can happen unless you deliver us from these enemies right now. We are being occupied. We are being surrounded. And Simeon, an elder, feels like he has a revelation that he will not see death until this Messiah comes. Because of the Roman occupation, the Jewish people were actually involved in revolting against Rome. And I just imagine, I wonder if Simeon's friends were involved in those revolts, and it's most likely that they were. I wonder if they were involved in resisting Rome and what it would have been like for Simeon to say, no, I'm not going to involve myself in that sphere 
I'm not going to involve myself in resisting Rome and revolting against Rome because I am confident I will not see death until I see the Lord's Christ. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it was like for Simeon in the face of that peer pressure from his community to say those things and to be confident that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ? Simeon stayed faithful. And not only did he stay faithful to that word that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ, but I think that Simeon had a deeper understanding of how the Messiah would come. I think Simeon had an understanding into the Old Testament prophecies, which are very familiar for us today. But in that day, maybe these passages would have been confusing. Passages like Isaiah 7, verse 14, which says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel. Or passages like Isaiah 9, verse 6, that says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. I think Simeon probably understood passages like we see in Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, it says that the Messiah is going to be one who's despised and rejected by men. He's going to be one who comes from a humble upbringing. In John 1, when Nathaniel is, is hearing about this person who's coming, he says, oh, he came from Nazareth. What good can come from Nazareth? The reputation of the very place that Jesus was born. People are looking at it and saying, what good can come from Nazareth? And Simeon in the temple, as Mary and Joseph are approaching, coming from Nazareth, he knows that this is that Messiah. He knew that the Messiah would come from a humble upbringing, that he would grow up before them like a shoot. Simeon, I don't think, gave in to the religious pressure that was surrounding him. I think Simeon had an understanding that the Messiah would come like a baby. There's a baby. Jana's holding her little bitty baby, two months old, I think, I want to encourage you, look at that baby before you leave today. Look at that baby or any baby that's in the room. The Messiah came as a baby. Simeon actually prophesies when this baby is brought to him. Simeon prophesies and says that he will be a light of revelation for the Gentiles and for glory to the house of Israel. He's looking at an infant who is completely helpless. He needs help from his mother and father. He can't feed himself. He cries. And Simeon says, this one is going to bring light to the nations of the earth. The things that have been prophesied throughout the last 4,000 plus years, he's going to bring light to the nations. And not only is he going to bring light to the nations, but he's going to restore the glory to Israel. In Luke chapter 1, we see what would have been expected in the way that he would restore glory to Israel. They're to be delivered from oppression. 
They're to be delivered from all their enemies and the covenant promises would be fulfilled so that they would serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of their life. This is what Israel would have expected. The glory of Israel is that that would be restored. The enemies would be gone before them and they would be able to serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him. But Simeon is in this moment saying, no, it's actually going to happen a different way. He says that this baby is appointed for the rise and fall of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And he says about Mary and a sword will pierce through your one soul also so that the thoughts and hearts of many would be revealed. Simeon prophesies how Israel would reject the Messiah, that this baby came for the rise and the fall of many in Israel. And he looks at Mary and says, this will pierce your one soul. Predicting that Mary would also feel the sorrow of the man of sorrows. This is Simeon. He was faithful throughout his life. He knew that he would see the Messiah. And not only did he know he would see the Messiah, but he knew how the Messiah would come and what the Messiah would look like. What do we know about Anna? We also see Anna in this passage. Anna's probably someone you might not have considered before. There's only three verses about Anna. We know that Anna was a prophetess. Anna was a prophetess, and it says that she was advanced in years, 84 years old, and she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and with prayer night and day. Now, when we think about Anna It says that she was widowed after being married for seven years. It was normal in the Jewish custom for for young girls to be married, probably around 15 or 16 years old. That was just normal in that day. So if Anna was a widow after being married for seven years, that means if she got married about 15 or 16, her husband probably died when she was 22 or 23 years old. Very young, still very young. 22 or 23 years old, she's already experienced a major life crisis. And then it says, at 84, she's in the temple every day with worship, fasting, and prayer. So if she was in the temple, it seems to indicate that she was in the temple from the time of becoming a widow until she was 84, which if that's the case, that's 61 years. 61 years that Anna committed herself to being in the temple before God with fasting and prayer and worship. Now, Anna, just imagine being 22 years old and experiencing a crisis like that, becoming a widow. In the face of crisis, Anna had a decision to make. Is she going to run away from God or is she going to run to God? She had a decision to make. And Anna, in making this decision, you have to imagine she was not, she had to have been tempted. I'm only 22, 23 years old. I have my whole life in front of me. I can more or less start over. You have to imagine that that was at least a thought. But Anna did not give in to that thought. And instead, she wanted to consecrate herself and commit to being in the temple being before God in the place of prayer, worship, and fasting. 
I think that Anna had a revelation of the Messiah that sustained her to continue praying and believing in the way that she did. It makes sense that as someone grows and, and matures in their faith, maybe they spend more time in prayer. I used to always think that, like as a young person, it was so hard. And still, I'm still young, yeah. But I used to, I think that. I'm like, man, sometimes it's just so hard to pray. When I get, when I'm 50, is it going to, Steve, is it going to be easier to pray when I'm 50? Okay, all right. No, it's not going to be easier to pray when I'm 50, right? We think that, like maybe when I get older, it's just going to be easier to pray, right? But for Anna, she was 22 years old. When she was 22 years old, she made a commitment to go before God day in and day out, and not just day, night too, and pray and worship and fast. And she gave herself to that. Instead of running away from God, Anna chose to run toward God. I believe that she had an understanding of who Jesus or who the Messiah would be that led her to that type of sacrificial obedience. It led her to a deeper commitment even after facing the loss of her husband. She didn't run away from God during her crisis, but she ran towards him all the more and gave him 61 years in the place of prayer. Now, I look at, I look at Simeon and Anna, and to me, these two people, especially in the context of Jesus' birth, are inspiring as it relates to faith. As we talked about a moment ago, Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but in transitioning us from the old era, he came in fulfilling the law and the prophets. And for us today, in the 21st century, as we wait for Jesus to return again, we also are called to wait in faith. We're called to wait in faith, believing that all the prophecies will be fulfilled. Yes, some of them have been fulfilled, but we're called to wait and believe and have faith, like Simeon and Anna, that all of the prophecies that were spoken about the Messiah would be fulfilled. I think that this requires us to have an understanding of who Jesus is in the way that Simeon and Anna did. Simeon studied the scriptures, and I think he saw how the Messiah would come, that he would come as a meek and a lowly person, as a baby. So much so that he was able to recognize who this baby was as Joseph and Mary are approaching the temple. He also understood that the Messiah would be rejected by many, a man of sorrows and a stumbling block to the nation of Israel. I think Anna knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and that that Messiah was worth wasting her life for. She gave up everything at a very young age and wasted plenty of opportunity, wasted plenty of time, quote-unquote wasted, because she knew that there was someone so much more worth her time and her energy. During this season of Advent, as we meditate on the person of Christ, I want us to be encouraged in our faith. And this morning in particular, as we have a time for prayer, I want, us, I want to encourage you to receive prayer for your faith. Greg, if you want, you can go ahead and come up. Faith is obviously something that is not easy. 
It's not easy to have faith. It's not easy to have faith in our culture. It's not easy to believe in something that's unpopular, like what Simeon and Anna did. But faith is what God has invited us into, to believe in what he's spoken. We're going to have teams this morning, a couple teams that will be able to pray for you. And you can really receive prayer for anything. But whether you come up or whether you're in your chair, this is the first thing that I want us to pray for. I want us to pray that God would open our eyes. When I read in this passage and see after Jesus is committed to God, it says that Joseph and Mary, they marveled. And I think about myself and I think all I want is to see him and marvel. That I could just see a small picture of who he is that leads me to be amazed. I spend so much of my time thinking about so many other things. But if I could see the beauty of Jesus, I would marvel. I would be fascinated. If we want to live lives of faith, that fascination is what will sustain us. So I want us to pray that God would open our eyes to see. And then the second thing, if you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you. I don't necessarily, you don't even have to believe in Jesus today. I want to invite you to receive prayer. Again, maybe you don't decide you want to be a believer today. But I want to invite you to receive prayer and see what happens. And the prayer is this, God, would you open my eyes? Maybe everything I've said today for you is completely foreign. You have no idea what it's about. But maybe you felt something like, what if this is true? What I want to invite you to do is to ask God. Ask God to show you himself and confirm whether or not that is true. So we're going to have teams up here. If you would like to receive prayer, please come and receive prayer. As you are in your chairs, let's together pray and engage our hearts with the Lord. Let's